My mom and I were unpacking Christmas decorations over the weekend, and she asked me, so what are you, what are you preaching about on Sunday, baby Jesus and getting ready for Christmas? And I said, well, the gospel reading is all about starvation and war and the end of the world. And she kind of wrinkled up her nose and said, well, who wants to come to church to hear about that? <laughs> She's not wrong. If you came to church on this first Sunday in Advent expecting to hear something seasonal, cute, and cuddly, I hate to harsh your vibe, but this is what we've got for you. People fainting from fear and foreboding and distress among the nations, the roaring of the sea. For many centuries in the church's history, the whole point of this season of Advent was to give preachers like me a chance to preach about what are still known in Catholic theology as the four last things. Somebody out there knows this better than I do, but the four last things, according to tradition, are death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And we've got all four of them this morning, it would seem, crammed into this reading from Luke. Jesus says, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, and when these things begin to take place, he says, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And, weirdly, mixed in with all of that, with all this fear and foreboding, this kind of unsettling sense of hopefulness. Jesus says, lift up your head, stand up and raise your heads, as if to say, you guys, this is your time. This is your moment. The future does not belong to the powerful ones who are about to be cast down from their thrones. The future belongs to you, you who have been waiting patiently for God to show up. The future belongs, he seems to say, the future belongs to the ones who have learned how to endure. And that will be the gospel writer Luke's great theme. We'll trace it kind of backwards through the book over these next few weeks leading up to Christmas Eve. We begin today with Jesus' predictions about the end of days. Well, next week we'll go back to the doomsday preaching of Jesus' cousin, his mentor, John the Baptizer. We end finally with his mother Mary and her great song of triumph, sung while her baby is just a, a promise, a, an idea, a seed in her womb. She sings, God has cast down the mighty from, his th from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. That is Luke's refrain, the promise that God's future belongs to the forgotten ones, to subsistence peasants who are living in a neglected corner of the world, to barren women and, and conspiracy nuts whose words are weird and intense but filled with a kind of tenacity that echoes down through the centuries. The world as you know it is coming to an end. So lift up your heads and be ye glad, for your redemption is drawing nigh. That's supposed to get you ready for Christmas. <laughs> Advent is a weird time of year. Out there in the world, it's a season about lighting candles and eating chocolates and counting down the days to Christmas. In here, it's something a lot more unsettling. It's predictions about the end of the world. And maybe more to the point, Jesus' advice for how to make it through. For Christians, Advent is less about anticipation and excitement. It's a kind of a boot camp, I think, for resilience. A time when we, when we mine our sacred texts for the tools that we're gonna need to make it through the coming night. These days are dark days. So this is where we come to figure out how we're gonna make it through. We just prayed a minute ago, Shanna, Shanna led us in this, this beautiful Advent prayer. It goes back to the earliest parts of our Anglican tradition. Give us grace, we pray to God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light and give us that grace now, right now in the time of this mortal life, because we know the final exam is coming. Give us grace 
now. We can't afford to wait for it because we know the darkness is coming. For many of us, indeed, for many of us, the darkness is already here. We're living in it. It was three years ago on the eve of this Sunday, the Saturday before the first Sunday of Advent, when my husband moved out of our house and we began the process of separation and divorce. I spent most of that first day vacuuming. That's a time-tested coping mechanism for dealing with complicated feelings that you're not quite ready to process. You start vacuuming. My mom taught me well. That night, after I'd cleaned my house from top to bottom, I sat down at the dining room table. The darkness was falling. It was early, right? Darkness comes early in November. And I didn't have an advent wreath that year, so I went out to the backyard and I grabbed some Douglas fir boughs, I jerry-rigged a pie tin and a couple tea lights, and I lit that one first Sunday of advent, I lit that one candle, one tiny protest against the overwhelming loneliness that came and surrounded me, seemed to suffocate me like a blanket. And I sat there at the table listening to Sinead O'Connor sing Nothing Compares to You an embarrassing number of times on repeat. Darkness was what I needed. It felt right to me somehow. Darkness felt like a, like a companion somehow. So the following Monday, I went to see my spiritual director, and I don't remember a lot about that conversation, but I remember him telling me about his own divorce 30 years earlier and the way that he coped with the uncertainty and the grief of that occasion. He walked, he would tell me, sometimes for hours at a time, all alone, sometimes barefoot. My spiritual director's a little bit of a hippie, that's why I love him. But he would walk until the darkness around him felt less like a threat and more like a companion. And that resonated with me. Around the same time, another friend of mine gave me the words of the German poet, Rainer Maria Rilke, and those words have stayed with me. Rilke writes, let everything happen to you. The beauty and the terror, just keep walking. No feeling is final. No feeling is final, just keep walking. So that's what I did that whole month, not usually barefoot, I had shoes on, not every night, but often enough that the practice of learning how to walk in the dark began slowly, gradually, to shift my thinking around the point of darkness in the first place. And more to the point, the way that it often shows up in Christian theology and hymnody as a signifier of everything evil and scary, right? The primordial forest, chaos, dragons and witches and giants, right? I was, I was reading books about darkness. I was rediscovering some old musicals that I used to love about darkness. And I began to reach out to friends who shared stories with me about Marriages that had ended, and new lives that had begun, dreams that fell apart, and then new realities that sprang up in their place. And what I discovered was that I was not nearly as alone in that darkness as I thought I had been. I think that's the other great theme of the church's Advent teaching series, if you like. When we look beyond the terror of the four last things, the threat of the apocalypse, the end of the world, and everything that keeps us up at night, Jesus is very clear. He says, you're going to have to go through this stuff. Luke, Luke has him say, it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Sometimes life takes us deep into the woods. Every fairy tale and legend and sacred myth has a version of this story, right? You walk into the woods, you walk into the darkness in order to find yourself. Jesus says that's actually what it means to be human. You learn how to endure maybe even how to thrive in the darkness. You can't avoid it. 
So you figure out ways to make it through. You realize you can't do it alone, so you start reaching out to other people who know a little bit more about darkness than you do. In Stephen Sondheim's musical, Into the Woods, the baker sings to Jack as he begins to step into the unknown. The baker sings, people make mistakes. Fathers, mothers, people make mistakes, holding to their own, thinking they're alone. And then the baker turns to his young protege, his companion, Jack, who has just lost his own mother to a giant's blow, as if to say, the world is so much more complicated than we used to think it was. He sings, witches can be right. Giants can be good. You decide what's right. You decide what's good. Just remember, someone is on your side. No one is alone. So I no longer have quite as much invested in the idea of darkness as threat as I once did. There's a whole history of embedded racism in that idea, right? That whiteness is pure and holy and blackness is sin and shame. And the church has a lot of work to do, I think, to detach us from some of that, from some of that toxicity. My experience of winter darkness is that it's not nearly as frightening as I thought it might be. The darkness gave me a home when I needed it. The darkness held me and gave me a safe space to unravel a little bit. The darkness was my friend in a time where I really needed a friend. See, Stephen Sondheim knew this. Sometimes you have to go into the woods. That's where you discover that you are not alone. So I don't quite know what to do with a prayer like, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light. I know what that prayer intends. Let's, let's arm ourselves, let's steel ourselves for whatever wickedness is gonna come our way. And there are days where I feel like putting on my armor, maybe you do too. I'm not sure always that it's darkness that I need to arm myself against. Sometimes I think the most the most dangerous thing we can do with the darkness is treat it as an enemy when it's actually a friend or a, or a teacher. Jesus says, be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. He says, be alert at all times and pray. Be alert and pray. Those are the tools with which we step into these Advent woods. We carry alertness, we learn how to keep our heads up, we feel the ground beneath our feet, we feel everything, as Rilke urged us, the beauty and the terror. We stay alert and we pray. Give us grace, we pray. Give us grace now in this mortal life, now when we need it the most. Give us grace to cast away the works of evil and to put on the armor of hope. And maybe we learn along the way that darkness does not have to be a threat. Maybe it can be the place in which we discover what it is we really need. So happy Advent, my friends. <laughs> As you await the dawning of the light, don't neglect to befriend the darkness too. I think she may have a gift to offer you as well. <laughs>